0: Hey there, you're listening to an extra special bonus episode of the High Performance Podcast. This podcast is our gift to you for free every single week. What we do is we turn the lived experience of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entrepreneurs and entertainers in the world to be your teacher. Today, this is what's in store.
1: The reason why I got an opportunity, the reason why I got on the radar for for selection in the early days when I was 19, 20, coming through for Ulster and for Ireland is because I was good at the basics. Execution for me is carrying the ball hard, using footwork, making good decisions with ball in hand, working hard in the backfield to cover kick uh, options and chasing kicks and getting in the air. If you create an environment where there are are no excuses, whether you draw everybody's attention to that or not, everybody knows someone's let themselves down and let the team down and and that's a difficult environment to be in. And if they've done it once and they've been embarrassed, they're not likely to do it again. So I think that's how you create that, that accountability. And I'm going to execute my role. I'm relying on you to execute yours
0: so as it's the autumn internationals we thought we'd bring you not one but two rugby players this week on monday we brought you dan carter the all blacks legend today we've got one of irish rugby's greatest ever players andrew trimble and he is a man who had incredible success and then incredible lows as well so he will share some deeply personal stuff and i really hope that it helps to take you to a place um Closer to high performance and he's much more than just a rugby player as well he's now a businessman and we talk about that so I really hope that you enjoy the conversation with Andrew Trimble today just a quick reminder that we have uh, a book out you can actually download the audiobook if you love podcasts and I'm sure audiobooks are your kind of thing just click the link in the description to this podcast and you can pre-order the audiobook right now and it will be in your ears on the 9th of December but for now enjoy this extra special bonus episode of the high performance podcast Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets to their success. Professor Damien Hughes, expert in high achieving cultures is alongside me. And Damien, one thing we really enjoy on this podcast is speaking to people who refuse to be put into a box and they want to prove to the whole world that they're more than just a one trick pony. And ironically, we live in a world where we love to pigeonhole people and put them in a box. And so credit to today's guest for for refusing that.
3: Yeah, definitely, Jake. I think that's the thing that I'm really excited about, that there's a line about communication that great communication only happens when you understand it's not what's been said, it's what's been understood. And I think I'm really keen to understand a little bit more around our guest and his journey.
0: Right, let's do it then. It's our pleasure today to speak to a man who spent over a decade at the pinnacle of rugby 70 caps for Ireland, the record appearance order for Ulster. Yet he's now decided to get into business. He's the CEO of sports tech startup. Kairos, he even hosts his own podcast, Potholes and Penguins. I think he might be a fan of penguins. We'll find out. Um, but what lessons can he pass on to us about elite cultures, both in sports and in business? How did his deep Christian faith help him deal with the mind-boggling highs and the crushing lows that he experienced as an elite sportsman? What brave decisions did he take to pursue his path as an entrepreneur? We're going to find out. Get ready for a revealing listen as we welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Andrew Trimble. Welcome, Andrew.
1: Hi, fellas. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show, so it's great to, great to be here.
0: Well, let's do it then, and you will know what the first question is, won't you? <laughs> what is high performance?
1: So high performance for me... Um, I suppose, is um, is single-mindedness. Uh, my experience when I was playing rugby, it was very much that. It was single-mindedness and it was focus. And I heard uh, Matthew McConaughey talking about um, selfishness and uh, I've, I've reflected in a similar way in that sometimes high performance can be understood from a positive perspective as focus and single-mindedness, but equally that's selfishness and I think that's really interesting that he's come to the same conclusion because that's perceived as a negative thing but really if you're going to be really good at one thing and you and your teammates and your environment are all going to be driving towards the same thing and be very good at achieving that you have to be bad at other things so you have to almost put them to one side so you have to be selfish and focus on those things so for me that's something that encapsulates um high performance
0: so how do you balance then the fact that in a rugby game the only thing that will get you to win the game is the team in business, the only thing that will get you to be successful is having a team around you. How do you balance success as a as a unit with personal selfishness?
1: Uh, I suppose um, you know my, uh, my my wife and my family mm-hmm. potentially um, took the brunt of that and took very humbly. You know, allowed me to be in a position where I could prioritize what I wanted to do and be as successful as I could be and just just be as good as I could be in in that environment in sport anyway. And, um, you know, there were times whenever I was away all weekend, there were times whenever I just had to rest up on game day and couldn't be as, as helpful with the kids. You know, there's times whenever, you know, I couldn't go out for dinner with uh, my wife or spend as much time as I wanted to with her because I had to recover or nutrition was important or it's just that focus and single-mindedness. And I think a lot of people talk about that that typical conversation of um, the, the traits and characteristics and um, the way you describe a high performing athlete then you can convert those into business and that I don't think that's always the case because I think if you're very good at one thing, you're inevitably you're not going to be well-rounded you're gonna be spiky you're gonna you're gonna have to compromise in other areas of your life. you can't be as good at everything and I think whenever that's the case you just have to acknowledge, this is what I'm focused on, this is what I'm good at uh, and other things, you have to be selfish and, and let those uh, let those go by the wayside.
3: So there's a line that you use there, Andrew, about being well-rounded that has really intrigued me and I've had this debate with my wife about some of the interviews that we've done about how well-rounded do you think you can be while still being a high performer?
1: Yeah, I think, I, I certainly think you can work on, on weaknesses. Um, even from a sporting perspective, I, I find that if I... Uh, worked on my weaknesses yes they got better but um it's really really important not to forget the reason why i got an opportunity the reason why i got on the radar for for selection in the early days when i was 19 20 coming through for ulster and for ireland is because i was good at the basics and because i was good at really kind of basic athletic execution and for me then to, to start to work on other areas of my game now i know you're talking about other areas of life but even just in sport. If you concentrate too much on your weaknesses, then you forget the reason why you're there in the first place. Um, so for me, I think it is important to to work on those weaknesses and to try and get better at some of those areas of your life outside of sport now I'm talking, but also to remember uh, why you're there and what your main goal is and uh, and be single-minded and be, be unashamed about that, be single-minded about those things and be focused on them. It's interesting,
0: isn't it? It, it resonates with what Matthew McConaughey said where on the podcast he said we always focus on our failures and our struggles he said let's focus on the good stuff the times when we're flying and I I think that that is a really important point you make is that we're all obsessed with where are our weak points that we need to improve but hold on the reason why I'm here initially is the stuff I'm already good at and you you can't let that die away
1: yeah i agree completely so for for example not to get too kind of nerdy and into uh, the the technical side of rugby but for me uh, what i was very good at as a youngster very naturally good at was getting getting the the ball under my right arm and just get my left hand and just get my fend up and just getting someone in the chest or someone in the uh, on the head and just getting an opportunity to get on the outside of the defender now whenever then i started um getting spending some time with with coaches and there'd be a lot of technical feedback and and work ons. You know, I was encouraged to to hold the ball in two hands and use use the ability to to move the ball over to to my left hand and use my right right arm fend. It never, it was never as good. I worked on it continually. It was never as good. And I got to the point where sometimes I was better off reaching across (laughs) doing the really uncoordinated thing, reaching across and actually spinning out attack. And so to me, again, just a principle, that's what I'm good at. I need to continue to be better at what I'm good at because that's the reason why I'm, I'm in the shop window. I'm getting opportunities. But yes, I'm not saying just forget about stuff like that. I'm sorry to kind of bombard you with, with rugby technique that, that may, may fall in deaf ears with a lot of people but that was just an example of you know something that i was good at so don't ever move away from what I, what i was good at it was my lesson that i learned
3: but beyond that though andrew i read a few comments that you'd made around when you spoke to the media for example that you used to just give bland comments and you were bored and they were bored but you were almost going through the motions and yet you were a guy that had like this rich backstory you know like you studied physics you went then and pursued theology that you're obviously curious and and, and open-minded into how the world works how much did you feel that you had to deaden that side of your personality to then become this singular focused rugby player
1: yeah my, my thing with uh with the media was always it was a very negative mindset and and it's it was it was a problem it was something i didn't like because um i would be one type of person um uh just normally everyday life with with my teammates and my friends uh, and then I was another person for the media and it frustrated me that I, I just, I could never be myself. I just, I got nervous, I suppose, in front of the camera and and I was always concerned, not that I would say something positive or something interesting or something compelling. I was always concerned that I would say something stupid or I would cock up or I would say just one of these unwritten rules. Mm. It's like the opposition, it's like your teammates, it's like, you know, whatever it was, <laughs> it just be, you just just slip up, just make a mistake. and. I suppose there was there was a, a a stage in my career towards the end where I started to care less, and caring less just allowed me to be myself a little bit more. Um, and I thought it was always it was a bit frustrating and a bit of a shame that I could never. I found it difficult to be myself. I was just mm. uptight and I was concerned about making a mistake rather than actually just being just being myself and uh, and and being unashamed just to just to talk the way I would normally talk.
0: I think though that that's something that that comes with age, and there will be people listening to this podcast now that would love to be in a headspace of just letting it all go and just being totally themselves. But I think at 20, 21, even at, I found at 30, that was a difficult thing for me. You know, I'm now 42 and I finally feel I'm in a place to totally be me. And I, And I think that comes with having different layers to what you're doing. So let's say I'm just presenting football on the television. I'm kind of anxious about getting anything wrong there because there's no safety net. When you create a podcast or set up a business or have other things going on, it gives you that ability I think just to be a bit braver with your decision making and I wonder whether for you your whole world was rugby. So anything that brought stress into that rugby world w- w- was a bad thing whereas now you're a guy that does a whole load of different things.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you I think there's something to that definitely and I think um my exposure to um, to two or three different aspects of my life, and, and two or three different interests and projects and roles, actually strengthened each, each other. So even whenever I was playing rugby, I was always studying. Whenever I was playing, you mentioned physics, um, which again was the recommendation from my parents. That's that's a very that's a, that's the way to go. to physics at university. I did it for a year and changed to the theology. I did uh, management and then a finance postgrad. So I always kept myself busy. Again, same principle. I felt like if I had exposure to different areas of my life, it would strengthen what I was doing. I know that there mightn't seem much of a crossover between physics or finance and uh, and rugby, but for me, it was just different exposure to different types of people and just stretching myself a little bit. And the same is true now, so a little bit of podcasting, um, a little bit of commentating uh, at rugby games. Um, obviously, my, my day job is is with Keros, you know, with software, um, selling software to uh, football teams and rugby teams. Um, and I, I like that balance, and I think um, the ability to host a podcast also allows me to, to present correctly or to explain things better or just to be able to be a, a clearer communicator. Um, I think they all strengthen each other, and it's good for me personally anyway. I find there's a lot of strength from having uh, two or three different things all complementing each other.
0: Can I talk to you about um, religion as well? Because I think you have to get to a certain point in your life where you're happy to really be you and be totally honest. Early on in your rugby career, were you able to talk about your religious beliefs and your own values? Or did you find that in that kind of heady mix of the drinking culture and the laddish behaviour and everyone going out and enjoying themselves, you, you felt like a bit of an outsider? Did you compromise your your own beliefs to fit in a bit more
1: uh yeah i suppose my um uh yeah potentially yeah there's always that there's always that tension and for me um where my religious beliefs are would be very different now at 36 than they were at 20 um so whenever you're you're a teenager and um, growing up in that environment things seem very black and white and um you, you you neatly pigeonhole answers away and uh, you've got an answer for everything you can just tidy everything up nicely and it all makes sense in your perfect little naive world <laughs> and then um, whenever you grow up you're friends with so many different types of people and you have so many different exposures and um, for me you know playing rugby you know going go on tour left right and center and um, spending time with, with with people who I was best friends with and big influences in me and just people with very different types of upbringing to me and then just encountering just life, a lot of life outside of rugby, my profession just made me realise, you know, there's a lot of grey here as well. Not everything is black and white. There's a lot of grey and uh, and I'm very f- thankful for my upbringing, um, but I'm also very thankful for a lot of experiences that helped me to put what I felt was very simplistic, very black and white into context. And uh, although that complicates things, I don't have neat, um, tidy, little perfect answers for everything now. Far from it. But, I, I, you know, I, I'm, happy, I'm happy not knowing the answers. Uh, and I'm happier kind of just having a little bit more balance and understanding and appreciation of different perspectives. Um, I'm aware how wishy-washy this sounds, by the <laughs> way. No, I think it
0: sounds smart. No, it doesn't. I
1: think it sounds smart, and it's an example that... We're all evolving all
0: the time. One thing you mentioned there that I'd like to pick up on the importance of your upbringing. What was it in your upbringing? Do you think that meant you were able to perform to the highest level in sport? You had that self belief, that determination. What kind of messages were instilled into you as a
1: as a young man? From a rugby perspective, my dad, my dad's a, a big rugby man. Uh, he loves his rugby, and uh, him and and mum. Just travelled the length and breadth of Ireland every weekend to watch me play for uh, Ulster under-20s, Ireland under-20s and um, club games for Balamina before I, I moved up and, and started playing for Ulster. And then still they were travelling. Now they loved it. They got the opportunity to go to Argentina for the under-21s World Cup and uh, and they made friends then, parents of other guys that I was playing with, that they still, they still keep in touch now. They're all in this WhatsApp group and they all go down to, to Dingle in south of Ireland every summer to catch up for a week-long holiday. They sound like swingers here, actually, I'm just realising. <laughs> but I think that the support that I got from my mum and dad and, and being plugged into that rugby network, my dad, always, the, the one piece of advice he always gave me was to back myself and to, I suppose, just have confidence um, because he knew, maybe he knew me better than a lot of people. He knew that confidence was something I struggled with and he... Always took me aside and said, "Why did you pass that? Why didn't you just go yourself? Why didn't you just back yourself? You passed it to someone else, who then he in turn backed himself, and he um, he took a defender on. You could have done that, you know. And and he he always just wanted the best for me uh, and my mom as well. They just wanted the best for me and they supported me, and, and that that was so important to me. Having that support and having the, those guys always in my corner, always backing me up, uh, and I think that gave me a good opportunity to to push on and uh, and and kind of achieve what what I achieved in my rugby career."
3: When you talk about confidence then, Andrew, there's a difference between confidence and self esteem and it sounds like they were giving you some pretty healthy roots and developing your self esteem. How did you then, as you moved up through the ranks of playing from the provinces and then going into the professional game and the international game, how did you work on developing confidence if that was an issue for you?
1: Yeah, confidence was an issue for me. Um despite, you know, having that support from my, my parents and, and, you know, people who were close to me growing up uh I listened to your podcast with Casper Smichael and he was talking about that that knowledge and 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 knowing that you were going to achieve something someday and and that confidence and and you know being confident enough to to be outspoken publicly about that 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 didn't quite work with me because I didn't know whether I was going to achieve it if I said it it would just be empty words and I wouldn't really I'd be I'd be saying it to put myself under pressure then I'd be more likely to achieve something because I was under that pressure but I, I wouldn't have the confidence really for me it was about going back to going back to basics. I used to watch um, there was there was one Six Nations and uh, and I wasn't selected for it and um, Craig Gilroy and Simon Zebo were in the wings for Ireland. I'm sure people remember this, but pass was thrown behind Simon Zee, uh, Simon Zebo and he did this ridiculous uh, execution of skill. He just he just flicked the ball up with his boot and did almost like a couple of keepy ups and then the ball just popped into his bread basket. I just thought, that is incredible. That's an incredible piece of skill that he's executed there. But if that's what it takes to play in the wing for Ireland, I'm not going to be playing in the wing for Ireland very much because I can't do that. And it's, it's, I think it's fine for me to accept that and acknowledge that I can't do that. That's not the style of player I am. He's He has more talent than me. I, I've obviously got a level of talent and ability um, to be able to be in that environment But that's not the style of player. If that's what's expected, I can't do that. But what I can do uh, is analyze my performance, look at my performance, look at it a little bit more objectively and got some support from guys around me to do that. And um, then Joe Schmidt arrived in the, the Irish setup and he's a guy who made it really accessible for me to know that I would be able to execute on Saturday. And execution for me is not doing keepy-ups. Execution for me is carrying the ball hard, using footwork, making good decisions with ball in hand, working hard in the backfield to cover kick uh, options, and chasing kicks and getting in the air. So about five or six really, really basic, simple execution um, pieces for me. And I'm a good athlete. I, I'm, if I practice something, I can get very good at it, even though naturally it might not be that good. Um, but I know I can execute all those things, and when I put those together, that combines to a really, really decent performance uh, at an international level. Someone like Joe Schmidt created an environment where I could go away and say just piece things together getting to the end of the week is difficult but getting from monday to tuesday is okay getting from tuesday to wednesday is okay because i would just put these pieces of of my performance together any issues that i would have almost like um like what i'm doing now with with um developing software and whatever problems that we can identify put a solution in place so i just put little solutions all through the week and then whenever i got to the weekend this is where the confidence comes in Damien. then i could i could look at what i'd done that week and My thought process almost acted like like a tool for rational thinking. Um, I would say, listen, I've I've, I've provided a solution to all the potential problems that I'm going to encounter on the pitch. It's very likely I'm going to perform. There's no reason why I won't perform well. So that allows me to have confidence. So it's a rational confidence. It's not a confidence that that, that's not based on anything. It's not me just saying I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to achieve this because I put this, this, and this in place.
3: So, its confidence came from evidence in many ways.
1: Yeah, I'm not trying to trick myself. I'm just yeah. I, instead of trying to convince myself that I'm better than I am, it's just trying to remind myself that I'm. This is how good I am.
0: It's very smart management, that isn't it? Because it sounds to me like you were applying unnecessary pressure to yourself by looking at people do things you couldn't possibly do and think, "Wow, well, I can't do that. I'm going to be no good." Yet you're then having a manager who's saying to you, listen, the stuff that you can do is all that you need to focus on and concentrate on. So if you just get that bit right, then things will be a success. And I think sometimes that's so important for people to hear that it's not about reaching for the stars and doing the impossible. It's about what, Damien, what was it that Ian McGeekin said to us? The world-class basics. Yeah. And I think sometimes there is a lot of value in that, isn't there?
1: Absolutely. So I know you had um, Sia Khaleesi on the show um, a few weeks ago as well, but... I mean, look at the way um, South Africa won the the World Cup. That was world-class basics. And there's no lack of talent in that team. There's no lack of ability in that team. But they just stuck to the basics and they stuck to their strengths. And if their strengths is being unbelievably physical and dominant and direct then that's fine and they're going to be better at that than anybody else in the world and that's why they won the World Cup. So um, I think if you play to your strengths and you keep things simple but you do them really effectively and consistently and if you're really reliable at doing that uh, week in, week out then, um, then I think that's a recipe for success.
3: Really good. So Joe Smith is a fascinating character for us. In your career, he was obviously a catalyst, but in the wider context of Irish rugby, there's almost a before Joe Smith and an after him. How would you describe what he did that made you be able to perform at such a high level then Andrew
1: he created an environment that was that was it was perfect for me and it was perfect for a lot of guys especially me because the contrast from before and after Joe Schmidt for Irish rugby in general but for me you know I was kind of a uh, an example of, of, of how things changed really he, he created an environment where you realize the importance of the of the small things you realize the importance of again very very and we're getting dangerously close to me getting um, nerdy about rugby technique here again but the (laughs) the importance of really, really basic contributions to the game like just how good your set piece was, how good your footwork was, how good your leg drive was, looking after the ball whenever you're the ball carrier, making good decisions. just accuracy over passing, um, accuracy over over kicking, kick receipt, this sort of like really, really small um, pieces of execution. But if everybody raises 5%, 10%, then it it, it creates a massive impact on the team. Uh, and also, um, one thing Joe always used to say well, was good players make other team look good. So again, he, he used he brought in a couple of plays. He was very creative as well. That sounds like he just went back to basics. He did in some ways, but he also um, brought in a massive level of creativity that the coaches are still um, copying now. Um, there's some kind of iconic plays that Joe Schmidt brought in that people are still copying. They're all totally dependent on every every contributor to that play executing perfectly. And the reason why um, they're executing that is so that someone else will be in space. There's thought to it. There's there's a big picture and i think joe brought an appreciation of that so whenever we did walkthroughs on on a wednesday night we've come back to camp on wednesday night ahead of kind of the big session of the week on thursday the intensity and the stress levels on that wednesday night walkthrough were like test match level it was incredible like everybody was nervous about talking to each other everybody was nervous about coming into the environment and he just created an environment where it was totally unacceptable not to know what you were doing and not to be in a position to be able to execute and that meant everybody was accurate everybody knew where we're supposed to be and then once you've been through that stress on the Wednesday night, you get to, to Saturday morning and you know everything and you're, you're totally prepared. And, and again, it's the confidence piece. You know you've put everything in place to be in a position to be able to perform. And you're walking into an exam knowing you know all the answers. And it's a great place to be, especially when you look left and right and your teammates are thinking the same.
3: But what precedes that though, Andrew, in terms of they're all great tactical and technical innovations that you made, but... For you to believe in that, there's got to be something around the personal relationship with him, his man management, his ability to understand you as a person. What did he do in that regard that made him so significant.
1: Joe's a workaholic. Um, he absolutely lives, breathes and sleeps rugby. He loves rugby and he knows rugby intimately. There will not be a player in world rugby that he won't know uh, what arm he dominantly carries the ball with and what foot he steps off. He knows everything about most players, about most teams. Um, he just loves his rugby and uh, he, he knows rugby so well that for again, for me, and I'm sure this is the, it's the same for a lot of other guys. If he selects me and he's telling me I'm good enough, he's got an authority in this. And if he's going to have confidence in me, then I should have confidence in myself, and I think that's the, that's the same for a lot of guys. And in terms of the game plan, um, if he implemented a game plan or he said this will break this team down for this reason, if you if you run this line, the, the defender will defend in this way. We all backed him up, and we all bought into that, and we all said, right, listen, if Joe believes that this is going to work, there's every chance it's going to work. It might not always work, but nine times out of ten, it's gonna it's gonna work. And often we understood it, and we weren't just doing what we were told. But even when you didn't understand it, if you did what you were told you you'd probably end up all right, and you could you could kind of buy into that mindset.
0: How did Joe deal with the games where it didn't go to plan and what he expected didn't happen or someone let him down? You know I think the ability to deal with the bad times teaches us so much
1: yeah yeah definitely um there there were times whenever whenever yeah potentially. The defender not not often the defender didn't defend the way we expected him to and um, the analysis wasn't correct maybe and um, that didn't happen very often usually it was they defended the way we expected them to defend but someone didn't execute their role and that had a knock-on effect that there wasn't space where we expected there to be space so it was never it was rarely emotional the reaction was rarely emotional right. it was rational logical um, we're in this position now. And in 2014, when we won the, uh, the not the Grand Slam, the Six Nations, we got beat at Twickenham by England, uh, and it was all doom and gloom. There was a massive uh, emotional impact that, that that had, and I remember the team meeting that we had with Joe um, on the Monday morning was there's no emotion here. We're still in a really good position to win the Six Nations. This is what went wrong. This is why it went wrong. If we correct those things and execute correctly whenever we go to Paris in a couple of weeks' time, we're likely to be successful. It's mind-blowingly non-emotional. It's just really rational. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's how to fix it. And we'll get back on track.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on
0: linkedin.com slash people today. So is emotion not a good thing to have? Because I've never been in an elite sporting environment, okay? So, but I assume there's a moment where someone needs to go, listen, guys, you have to understand what this means smash your heads together, let's have a proper conversation about today and the nation are waiting on this and everyone's in front of their tellies and it's all on your shoulders. Can that not be a healthy thing to instill in players to, to make them realise the emotional strain and toll of a game of rugby or not?
1: Yeah, I think it can. It, it definitely will help, of course. It'll make, you know, there's some, there is there is a certain impact from that whenever guys are emotional, more motivated um, and just just ready to go out and rip guys' heads off. That will have an impact and guys will be more motivated to to get gain lines, to be more physical, to be more dominant. Um, but I just don't think you can do that every week. You can't have that emotional response or you can't dig that deep. It's 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 really difficult to dig that deep every single weekend. And maybe there might be more of an impact for that or 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 more of a space for that sort of mindset and that approach or that coaching philosophy whenever you're an in in international coach when you've just got a period of games and you can have that period of high intensity but at a cl- at club level you, I don't think you can do that I think you can do that every now and again for a big game for a derby match for a rivalry um, but I think it's really difficult to rely on that and when you rely on that if someone's just having an off day then the consistency or the execution levels are going to be up and down Whereas if you rely on execution and thinking through how to uh, how to manipulate defenses and and, uh, and get in the ascendancy, then I think that's a way more robust mechanism for, for yeah. building a performance.
3: See, what I'm finding fascinating, Andrew, is that you're almost articulating the secret source of so many cultures, which is around communication, that like when it's good, people don't notice it. When things go wrong, people often then blame it as a factor. And I know that that links to your business that you do now with kairos so what would you describe to listeners are the key factors of great communication that then leads to high performance i I feel like if um
1: if if a coach um, communicates a certain directive to a player if that coach has has a history or a reputation of that being put in perspective okay he exaggerates that or what he really means by that is this then then what he says is always going to be interpreted in a subjective way. It's always going to be, OK, there's going to, always going to be a filter on that. Whereas if a coach always says exactly what he means or she means, then you're always just going to take it at face value. You know, there's always going to be a, you can never be 100% objective. It's always going to mean something. There'll be body language involved. There'll be um, the context for the communication, whether it's communicated one on one or in a team. But I think in principle, if you always say what you mean, if you're always really clear, Then it's always going to be interpreted objectively, and there's going to be an accountability on the person who receives that. Listen, I I said exactly, I said exactly what I wanted to say, and I I think you understood me. So there's an accountability that they have to react accordingly. Um, I think there's there's a lot to that. If that's what you're thinking, there, Damien.
3: Yeah, it's often one of the key factors, isn't it, that is cited is communication breakdowns. You know, when they hear about a coach loses a dressing room, it's often about they've stopped communicating or they've become reclusive or they become erratic in the way that they do it and yet what intrigues me for example when you're describing your experience with joe is there was just that constancy there was a credibility of what he said but there was a constancy of how he delivered it that i think captures the essence of of, um, of communication in high performing environments.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think just, just being able to buy into it and to have confidence uh, in, in what you were hearing and how you interpreted that and then the impact that that was gonna have on your behavior and on your approach for the next game. I think having confidence in that is important. It's difficult from a coach's perspective though, um, to be completely honest, I suppose whenever um, the situation where you're waiting on one the the a fitness test of one player, but you're keeping another player waiting just to wait and see, um, whatever way that works out, people are going to interpret that in hindsight. Okay, that that coach, you know, naively was too honest, or that coach was being sneaky, and and both are right, but they're just different. Um, different conclusions people are going to jump to depending on how the outcome ends up. So I have a lot of sympathy for, for, for managers and coaches in that position.
0: I love the way you talk about rugby and, and culture in the sport. So I want to ask you how difficult it is the day when it all ends and you wake up one morning and you're no longer defined by being a professional rugby player. How was that experience for you?
1: I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky that um the timing, everything was perfect for me. And I was very, very lucky that I retired at a time where um, I'd, I'd had my purple patch um, and I'd had enough success to look back and say I was I was very proud of what I accomplished. Had I not had that, I think I would have experienced what a lot of guys experience whenever they finish. And that's feeling like there's some unfinished business or a little part of me still holds on to that identity. You know, and I, I'm a rugby player. I'm an Irish rugby player. I'm an international. And that's how I want to be known. For me, I I, I did that and I, I was happy with what I accomplished. Um and and i had enough ties outside of rugby and enough you know friendships and connections and enough going on enough interest outside of rugby that i always had that perspective it was always very important to me i was always single-minded and focused like you're talking about but i also had uh, a lot of stuff going on outside with you know with study and just family life and other interests i was happy enough to move on and not be andrew trimble the rugby player anymore and uh, and i was also it was helped for me um that that period um was was easier for me because i was passionate about getting into something else and that was um you know developing uh keros software and uh, and using my experience in that high performance environment just to impact and allow guys to thrive uh, and use technology to to accomplish that so I'm, i was pretty excited I, ha, knowing what i know now that excitement was probably misplaced because i had a <laughs> lot to learn and we're talking about Sports people not being well rounded and being spiky. I was very spiky. I had a lot to learn. I uh, so come on then tell us what 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 you've learned. What other big lessons? So just I, I suppose just. Um, even just the, the technical lessons about about the new role and managing software and managing a team of, of developers it's culture shock um uh, managing a team of developers rather than managing a team of athletes and you talk about that macho sports environment versus software developers very very different <laughs> <laughs> um, but but great, equally brilliant and and actually people are a lot more similar than you think. Uh, and even just, um, you know, managing sales processes, managing marketing, you know, all, all the stuff that I uh, that I, I didn't have any exposure to. I had a lot to learn. Um, and I, But I was excited about it. And I still am. And I'm still learning a lot as I go. Um, and I'm very excited about about the business and where we're going. And, and some of the feedback we're getting is great. And we're in a really good position. I, we've we've just um, secured a second round of investment. Uh, and i wouldn't have had a notion despite studying finance i wouldn't have had a notion how to go around uh, securing investors uh, investment summaries uh term sheets all this sort of stuff I had, a, I had a lot to learn but um i was up for it and i was excited about it and where we are now is a really exciting position we're bringing in a couple of new sales executives and we're starting to get a bit of traction the last year would have been better had covid not hit but everybody in the world is saying that so we launched uh, our product in um February of, of last year <laughs> obviously <shocking Well> time,
0: <laughs> yeah no, but on the flip side you know this, this is the high performance podcast and I think it's important to make the point that if you can survive through a global pandemic when no one can leave their houses then you should have a business that is viable
1: yeah absolutely and again there was a couple of things about the environment and, and day-to-day behaviors of people that have changed that have allowed us to capture that a little bit more and there's more of an emphasis on on communication, obviously our obviously our platform scheduling communications is where we're really strong, uh, and there's so much more communicating uh, communication that needs to be done in sports teams now with one-way systems, COVID protocols, testing procedures, all this sort of all there's loads and loads of stuff, and we're capturing a lot of that with a lot of teams that we're working with, and there's that there's the operations piece which I think is really important, which is really good, be able to communicate that clearly to players whenever they need that and have it in front of them but there's this slightly um, less tangible um, value that we offer that's allowing players just to free up that cognitive distraction of, of WhatsApp groups and email threads and whiteboards for medical appointments. Mm. And we're, uh, we're in a really good, place now where the last year some of the feedback we're getting we really feel like we're getting that product market fit we've got um one football team recommending us to another football team these guys are solving problems these guys are allowing our athletes to to know where they're supposed to be to know um where they're supposed to park to know what the, the training requirements are to know who's in bibs who's not in bibs what time their appointment is all this kind of stuff that it seems unimportant, but it takes up a little bit of space. And we're talking earlier on, we've talked all the way through this, about the focus and the single-mindedness of an athlete. We feel like when we just capture that stuff, put it to one side, allow the guys to access that information when they need it, then then put, put it to one side and then just continue to worry about what is the most important. Again, being selfish, performance of the weekend, mm. and all these operational difficulties and management of timetables and scheduling and team comms can sometimes get in the way of that and can, the impact can be guys can be slightly less uh, single-minded. So we're, we're trying to deal with a lot of that stuff operationally in, in football teams and rugby teams and the feedback we're getting is really good and we're starting to, to get a bit of joy.
3: And I'd echo it, Andrew. I, I, having worked in those kind of environments, I think that what you're offering is a really powerful solution to a problem that's so common. But what I'm interested in is, now that you're running your own dressing room, What are the requirements that you want from the members of the Kairos team that you, so when you bring them in and you're responsible for the characters and the culture that emerges from it, what are the standards or the characteristics that you demand from anyone that now represents your business?
1: We we start by only hiring only hiring good people, um, and that's really difficult to know because uh, especially at the minute you're gonna get on a couple of Zoom calls, um, you don't get the chance to go and get a coffee with someone, spend an afternoon with someone. But for us, whatever they can they can execute, whatever their skill set is, that's all that's all great. That's all really important, of course. But whether they're good people and whenever whenever occasionally we need to call someone at the weekend get something done at the weekend or or, you know we've got a big project that needs to be completed for a certain date whenever they're good people we know that we can rely on them we treat them well
3: but that's quite a subjective phrase to what is a good person in your definition yeah very very difficult to
1: know and um and very difficult to tie that down to something more quantifiable um i suppose for me it's someone i i'd like to spend time with it's someone who i'd like to invest a bit of trust in and uh, and invest a bit of you know me my friendship in i suppose um, not that you're never going to be best friends with everybody on your team but um just people that you like people you trust people that you uh, enjoy the company of and people that you know you can you can rely on them i think those those are good people and i'm not saying that's necessarily um always the first criteria um but it's certainly up there. It's 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 right up there. So in our team at the minute we've got really, really skilled, skilled people, people who are driven, people who are motivated, all really important, but good people that you can rely on as well. And I think um combination of all those things is really important.
0: I think that's really good stuff and obviously you've come from an elite environment where people look at it from the outside and think wow life comes so easy to Andrew Trimble on the rugby field and now they might look at this and think oh look he now turns to business and it's all a great success. It's really important on this podcast that we tell the truth and we talk about the difficult things because I sometimes believe that the hard stuff is also the good stuff right. So what are the hard things? What are the challenges in setting up a business and trying to make it successful that that you've learned that others can learn from
1: yeah it's it's getting people to buy into your vision um and uh we've we've had a vision from from day one and that's um to 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 manage and to nail scheduling communication in in sports teams and to allow athletes to to thrive and um, and be single minded uh, for the weekend for their performance get them back to what they do best and just take away anything that could could get in the way of that but it's maintaining that vision and uh, there's there are some key aspects and characteristics of our product and our business that we want to maintain and there has been times whenever we've had customers looking for a different solution or something that would potentially compromise our vision mm-hmm. and we've had to say no um, and that's really difficult to do that because uh, whenever you're starting out whenever you're, you're a startup you might only have a handful of customers and if one of them wants something it's very demanding and it's very difficult to say no but we've got a lot of faith in where we're going with a lot of faith in the fact that what we're delivering is different is unique is player focused and and really has an appreciation of, of how to get the best out of players uh, and being single-minded and, and and maintaining that is really important for us that's the one that's the kind of high level understanding of how difficult it is to, to get a business, a tech business up and running. But also there's just all the operational stuff and all the difficulties. And my, my business partner's has uh, been incredible there and he's um he's he's kind of brought me under his wing and uh, and he's um just provided a lot of solutions to an environment that's totally new to me. Uh, not a lot of it's new to him as well, but uh, we're we're learning together and we're um we're we're as often as possible it's difficult now obviously with COVID but sharing our learning and, and as much as possible just trying to communicate Clearly to each other to understand that we're all we're we're both in the same boat here together and we're both learning together, and and hopefully we're we're learning enough to go to keep going in the right direction.
3: It seems to me that Kairos helps to create a no excuses environment in sports teams because then you've got no excuse. I didn't know I was supposed to be there. I had no excuse that um, I was supposed to wear that kit and all that. So how do you cope with people that do make excuses in your world? You know, people that um, maybe are not as committed as what you are or what you were as a rugby player and now running your own business. How do you handle those kind of issues?
1: In, in the same, what we were talking about earlier on was, was communicating and communicating clearly. And if you can communicate clearly and objectively, then there are no excuses for the person who hears that. They can only interpret that one way. So I think the same is true for any type of communication, whether it be scheduling, operational, um, parking arrangement, COVID testing, testing for our um, appointments, anything like this. I think if you can be really, really clear about that, then you create no um, opportunity for someone to have an excuse. And there's there's an accountability there as well. One team we're working with um, came back to us and said, you know what we've discovered, actually, because people can trust Keros, Keros is going to be up to date. It's a live platform. It's going to reflect exactly where the guys could be. There's trust in that and it's communicated. It's it's almost like the the tech example of, of the Joe Schmidt thing I was talking about you know you can trust the information that's being presented in Keras because you know it's live and you know it's up, up to date. So the feedback we got from one team that we're working with is there's no more lazy questions. Players don't ask any lazy questions because players always want that that. Get out, and again, it's focus, and then not having to worry about all the operational things. It's the, it's it's the what times the session tomorrow? What times the bus going again? What times this, that, the other? What, yeah. You know, what am I? You know, what are we wearing tomorrow? Is it blue jerseys or red jerseys? It's really trivial stuff, but just lazy questions. There's there's an accountability now. All the information in Caros is up to date. It's live. It reflects where you're supposed to be what you're supposed to be doing and everybody buys into it. And we've got massive compliance from teams um, from that perspective. But again, that was a really interesting way to articulate that. If we're removing lazy questions from players, the the necessity to, to ask those lazy questions, we're effectively empowering those players more, giving them the, the more buy-in. They're driving something. They're not passengers in the football team. They're driving something and that's going to impact their performance at the weekend.
3: But then within, say like the dressing room at Ulster or, or, um, or with Island when people did have excuses, having been in that environment, there's a couple of ways in which you can address it. You can either rip them to shreds with the kind of comments that you wouldn't get away with outside of that environment, or, or, or you can almost send a message to them in a physical way out on the field that what they're doing isn't acceptable. And they're things that are no longer accessible for you, running it in the corporate world. Some of the things that you might have said, uh, on a training field wouldn't be acceptable they'd see you in employment tribunals or Mm -hmm. anything like that so how do you handle it using those softer skills these days within your own business when you see that kind of lazy questions or excuse making creeping in
1: yeah it's it's i suppose it's um looking at ourselves first and making sure that something was communicated clearly and there was no um opportunity to uh, to wiggle out of something or, or to have an excuse. So there's then we transfer the accountability onto the staff member or whoever it is we're trying to deliver that to. But I think there's, there's two things happening in a rugby team anyway. If you make a mistake, if you get some detail wrong or you don't execute correctly on the pitch, it's embarrassing. And uh, you know how well rehearsed everybody else is around you. You know there's 14 other guys trying to create a situation where then I'm under pressure to execute so I can make something work. If I don't execute, then I'm letting 14 guys down it's embarrassing you know if you drop a pass or you you know uh, select the wrong option or you just haven't done your homework it's embarrassing but then in the meeting whenever someone says Andrew what you did there it doesn't even need to be said it's all I'm already embarrassed so everybody around knows that I I cocked up and I made a mistake if someone says it it's it's kind of like okay it, what you're saying is obvious. I, I think Joe. I'm trying to think of the example of Joe Schmidt. He, he he may have said it. He might not have. I think he knows whether he says it or not. Everybody knows the the impact of what I've done. So um I think it's just just if you create an environment where there are no, are no excuses, whether you draw everybody's attention to that or not, everybody knows someone's let themselves down and let the team down, and and that's a difficult environment to be in. And, and if they've done it once and they, they've been embarrassed they're not likely to do it again. So I think that's how you create that, that accountability. And I'm going to execute my role. I'm relying on you to execute yours.
0: Really good. Oh, it's been such an interesting conversation. And it's absolutely clear to us that all those years that you thought you were playing rugby, you were just learning all the skills to
1: take into business, weren't you? <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah, uh, you, definitely, you definitely wouldn't have said that if you see seen me three years ago when I was starting <laughs> out. I, <hadn't laughs> a clue.
0: I, saw a, I saw a nice quote from you actually saying that in 2019, you'd rather be building a business than playing at the Rugby World Cup. I just want to finish on that because that's, that was a really enlightening thing for me because that was your dream for me in a small boy. That's the dream of millions of people to be a an international rugby player. What did you mean by that?
1: You can't do it forever. I loved it. absolutely loved my experience um, as, a, as a professional rugby player, getting to go on tour with Ireland, play at World Cups. Um, we went to, one of my best memories in an Ireland jersey is, is beating New Zealand in Chicago um, in 2016. An incredible experience. No Irish team had ever done that before. No Irish team had ever gone to South Africa and beat South Africa. Um, and it was amazing to be a part of that. But I think, after i'd done that for 12 years that chapter of my life uh, closed and uh now commentating at games you know getting to experience you know be part of match night is great but i look i look at what they're doing right there there was one night i was standing with stevie ferris and we were standing in the in goal area and guys were warming up behind us smashing into each other with pads and just i just looked it it was wet cold night and i just went i would hate to be still doing that (laughs) i'm i'm enjoying what i'm doing now i'm really motivated really excited about what we're doing now and it's a new challenge and uh, for me i loved it while it was there but i I can't hold on to that forever got to move on and be excited about something different and i'm really enjoying the challenge that uh, that i'm doing at the minute
0: it's brilliant listen we always finish as you know because you listen to the pod with quick fire questions so what are your three non-negotiable
1: behaviors that you and the people around you have to buy into always be on time uh, always uh, be reliable uh, and uh, always do what you say you're going to do
3: what advice would you give to a teenage Andrew just starting out on your journey
1: uh, I would say identify what you're good at Maybe spend some time with someone else who knows you well, who's able to identify what you're good at, what you're passionate about and, and go after that and don't be influenced by other people or what people think. I would say um, go after what you're passionate about and what you're good at and, uh, and, uh, and don't let anybody, anything else get in the way. How important is legacy to you? legacy um is, is really important for my teammates i always wanted my teammates to be proud of me and uh, whether that be teammates in the rugby pitch or teammates in keros um for me they're the guys who, who know more about what the process was like so they're the guys who i'm more interested in creating a legacy with nice
3: and finally andrew what's your one golden rule to live a high performance life
1: a perspective um i i had focus and single-mindedness when I was playing rugby but my perspective allowed me to transition out of that and also my perspective allowed me to spend important time with family um, friends kids and just make sure that I value that time as well so yes be as single-minded as you can but also remember the things that are important
0: I think that's um, a brilliant answer and it's a brilliant way to finish as well Andrew I think you know sitting and having this conversation it's clear that you've adopted the right mindset at the right time and effectively you've kind of grown up you know you had to be single minded it had to be all about rugby but then it had to be all about family it had to be being brave and leaving and going and setting up a business and working your way through that and discovering as you went I just really think it's fantastic that you got to the point where you were happy to make that next transition from rugby player to businessman and um, I wish you all the very best I think it's going to be a success
1: thanks very much fellas really really good to get on and get a chat with you really enjoyed that
0: oh thank you Top, man. Thanks so much. Cheers, fellas. Damien. Jake. (laughs) I think Andrew is a really sort of interesting character. He seems so at ease with the fact that he is no longer a rugby player. And I, I would imagine a lot of professional, former professional sports people will listen to that conversation and probably feel a bit jealous, actually, of how sanguine he is about life.
3: Yeah, definitely. I often think it's really interesting when you see former players, you get an idea of how well they're transitioning, you know, when you see like social media handles and things like that, and those that still maybe 20 years after retiring are defining themselves through what they did in their 20s and 30s. And it often worries me that they're obviously struggling to identify the person they are now with who they were in their 20s. And I think he's a textbook example of somebody that transitioned quite smoothly by identifying a new role that he wanted to go into he's now a chief exec and a business leader as opposed to um uh, irish rugby international
0: and it's a good reminder isn't it that we may well be on one path and one day on another but there's no such thing as a bad day for learning every single day whether they're good days or bad days successful days or failing days they teach us stuff that in years to come we will make use of
3: well exactly like Andrew's just demonstrated today, you know he's been in environments where like he says lazy questions are easy to be asked or excuses are easy to offer when uh, when communication isn't isn't concise and tight. and I think what he's done is he's experienced that rather than complain about it or point out that it's an obvious flaw. He's then used it as a learning opportunity to say, how do I solve that problem?" And I think you're right, we can learn from every experience, every opportunity, good or bad. And that's what I thought was fascinating in, in, uh, in listening to him.
0: Oh, it was great to be joined by Andrew Trimble on this episode if you really enjoyed what you heard today then please go back and take a look through all of our previous conversations if rugby is your thing you'll find Johnny Wilkinson you'll find Eddie Jones you'll find Dan Carter you'll find Dylan Hartley um, we've spoken to the great and the good of the rugby world including Sio Colisi the first ever black Springbok to lift the World Cup the conversations are all incredible so feel free to find those but the great thing about high performance is that it's such an eclectic mix so you'll be listening to a rugby player one day an inspirational motivational speaker the next um, a business leader the following day and then a a musician Um, and it's just I don't know it's just a reminder isn't it that as you go through life every single person has something that you can learn from so if you just ask a question of everyone you meet and you approach everyone with empathy rather than opinion um, then you'll go a long way in life. And before we sign off and say goodbye, just a quick mention of the episode where we spoke with John McAvoy, a man who was previously one of the most wanted criminals in the country and has turned his life around to become a world-class triathlete. I spoke on that podcast about um, intrusive thoughts, which I had a bit of treatment for um, a, 15 20 years ago but they were scary at the time and can i just say thanks to so many people that have got in touch on instagram to tell me that they too have these strange thoughts that panic them or worry them and they think they're abnormal and they think that no one else has these things whatever it is that kind of fear of basically doing something mad like you are definitely not on your own they definitely are common and ian sent me a message to say um I have intrusive thoughts and recognize the themes, which are usually fear based. It's great to let them go. I find Headspace is a helpful app, or imagining a thought going on in one ear across the stage of my brain and out the other side. And another tool, cross check this with the professor before taking my uneducated advice, he says, but the word he uses is rule. Is a thought realistic? Is it useful? Is it logical and is there evidence? So if you find that you're having these kind of strange thoughts and they worry you, just ask yourself, is it realistic? Is that really going to happen? Probably not. Is the thought useful? Almost definitely not. Is it logical? That's unlikely. And is there evidence for it? There almost never is. So it's a trick. It's your brain playing a trick. So wherever you are, whatever you're up to this week... If you find that, you know, these sort of strange intrusive thoughts is something that bothers you, maybe Ian's um, advice is helpful. And let me just tell you, there are hundreds of people that have got in touch with me to say they have a similar thing and that you're not on your own. It actually is really common. So yeah, I hope that helps. And that's it from today's episode. Huge thanks as always to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio for his hard work, making the podcast sound amazing. To Eve, to Will, to Hannah, the entire team behind the scenes on the High Performance Podcast. Of course, Professor Damien Hughes, without whom these conversations wouldn't be anything like that like as rich and as deep and as rewarding but most of all thanks to you for more from the podcast check out the high performance but please remember there is no secret it is all there for you you must be your own biggest cheerleader and make world class basics your calling card because you know what you deserve it see you next time